Well, hello, I'm Doug Apple, back with another special interview for you today. Have you ever studied the book of Luke? We're going to be talking about that with an author, Debbie Plekin, and she has a new book out entitled With Jesus, and the subtitle is An Intimate, In-Depth Study of the Book of Luke. And Debbie's on the phone with us since she's in Wyoming and we're in Tallahassee, Florida, so we got her on the phone. And uh, according to your bio, Debbie, you're also the co-founder of Outlaw Ridge Ministries in the Black Hills of Wyoming. So there you are actually now sitting in City Hall in Hewlett, Wyoming. We're going to talk about the book of Luke a little bit. So let me begin, Debbie, by asking you this question out of all the books of the Bible that you could have written a book about. Why Luke? Well, to tell you the truth, that was God's idea. I had asked for a deeper meaning and a deeper knowledge and intimacy of his word. I wanted to know more. I wanted to go deeper. I'm like, Lord, fill me up fuller. And he said, study the book of Luke from the beginning to the end. And I was even to start with the introduction in my Bible. And I had said, Lord, you know, this is the very beginning again of the gospel message. Why must I start with you here? Um, I'm looking for serious meat and I was a little confused on that and I'm not putting anything down or discrediting anything with the book of Luke at all. But I was not expecting that. And uh, my husband gave me the answer, and he said he's giving you the meat of the foundation. So that rock-solid foundation, I evidently needed much more poured into me to have a better grasp of that. And we have to have that foundation before we get real deep into the meat of the Word, or we're not ready for it. So God felt I wasn't ready for it. And that's why I started with Luke. It'd be real hard to say that the words of Jesus were not the meat of the word. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But it wasn't what I was expecting. I, I really thought we would get into something a little bit different than that. And that shows to what I know. <laughs> yeah. I have an illustration that comes to my mind when I think about the Bible. And it goes back to an old Time Life ad on television. You might remember when they were advertising Time Life books and things like that. Oh, yeah. Uh, an announcer shows up on the screen and he's just standing there holding a sugar cube and the camera's pushed in kind of close to see the sugar cube that he's holding between his fingers. And he's talking about the density of a sugar cube and the camera starts to pan out. But he says, you know, a sugar cube is not very dense. You drop it in a coffee, it disappears immediately. It's, it's not really that dense, though it is in the shape of a cube. But he said now, and the camera keeps pulling out, he said, if this cube was made of stardust, stardust is vastly more dense than a sugar cube. The camera keeps pulling out, and finally you see what's behind the announcer. He's actually standing on the dock, and as the camera pulls out, he says, if this sugar cube was actually made of stardust, it would be so dense, and he points behind him, it would weigh as much as this battleship. Mm. And there's a whole battleship, and I, I remember as a younger person just thinking, man, if you drop that sugar cube, it would just go straight through the dock, <laughs> straight to yeah. the bottom of the sea, and, and maybe go into the bottom of the sea a ways if it was as dense as a battleship but in the size of a sugar cube. But I thought, you know what? 
That's the way the Bible is, because you can look at it, and it on the shelf. It looks just like all the other books, but it has a density to it, being the word of God, that is so much more dense than any other book. So you say, man, the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, that's just a small sliver of the Bible. How much could you get out of that? And I would just want to tell everybody, no, don't look at it like another book. This is the word of God. It has a density to it. And the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you as you study it. Absolutely. I fully agree. And we all have more to learn. It doesn't matter what our level of education is, you know, what our position is, uh, where we're at, or whether we're first even seeking him or have don't even know anything about him. We all have much to learn. And it's called the living word for a reason. How many times have we read a scripture over and over again, and the 100th time we read it, all of a sudden, wham, in our head, the Holy Spirit drops in a meaning that is for us that we're able to understand on that day, that we maybe weren't able to understand a week earlier, and then we grasp a hold of it. That's also the meat of the word. Yeah, and Jesus said his words are spirit, and they are life. That is not the same as your average word. So you said we still have a lot to learn. Of course we do. But as you went into your study of the book of Luke, what is something that you did learn that you didn't know before you started that in-depth study? Oh, my goodness. We don't have enough time to discuss that. <laughs> Just grab onto <laughs> one of them. Oh, just one of them? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I would have to bring up where he talks about um, one scripture where I, I kind of... Oh, I struggled a little bit with understanding fully what he meant. And that's when he's talking about the wineskins. And now, don't ask me exactly where that is, because if, if you ask me exactly where that is, I'm not good at memorizing location of Scripture. Thin and uh, Yes, well, really, you, what you have to understand is when I did this study, it was not uh, myself, I feel, my intellect was not writing this book. My um, learning of what we were studying was not writing this book. When I sat down at my kitchen table every day for three years to study the book of Luke, when I sat there, I prayed and I yielded myself to the Holy Spirit. And I said, put myself aside, Lord, and take over and have me understand and write what you want written in this study. So I, as best as I could in our human flesh, set myself aside. And that does not mean I was mindless or brainless in it or anything like that. I was learning right along, but I yielded to the Holy Spirit's use, and I was simply a tool and a willing vessel for this study. And I was learning right along with it. So when I have to go back and say, oh, yes, that this specific scripture is located here, but I can talk about the subject and what I learned because that stuck. And I asked him to help me to retain what he's teaching and to bring it back up again when I need to. Memorizing verse and chapter, and that has never been a strong point with me as far as being able to tell you, oh, this scripture is located here and this scripture is located there. But I will say, to answer your question regarding the wineskins, when he was saying that um, pouring into old wineskins will burst the skin. And it was just like he said, putting a patch on an old garment, putting a new patch on, it won't hold. 
he was talking about us. Our old regenerate self cannot have all this new wine poured into us if we are not receiving him and a regenerate spirit. We can. We can learn. We can be changed. We become a new creature. But if we stay in our old nature and don't accept that new creation he is molding us into, that we desire the old instead, it's, we're not going to be able to hold and be filled with him and with that word. We're gonna, we, we can't do it. We have to be regenerate to be able to hold everything that he wants to pour into us and be that useful vessel and that new creation. It's the same thing with the garment. That is what he's talking about is you put that patch on. We can't just smack Jesus on and mm. sew him onto a section of ourselves and say, oh, Jesus, you're welcome in this corner of my heart. But those other ones I like too much. You know, those other things that I'd rather have instead of you. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep those and I'm going to stroke those and I'm going to feed those. But you can have this corner over here. We're never going to end up being that new creation and filled with him and with his Holy Spirit and be of the use that he really has created us to be. We can't, we can't do it because we're too caught up with dabbling our toes in the world and we like it too much. So then when he said that no one likes the new wine, they prefer the old. And I'm thinking, why is that? And it is because it's familiar. Mm. The old ways are familiar to us. They're comfortable. It's like a soft, easy chair or an old pair of slippers. It's comfortable. We like to walk in that. That is why no one chooses the new first and prefers the old. That, that really hit me when he was teaching me about that. So let me compare that to another scripture in Luke, and it's where what I call the Sermon on the Plain in Luke chapter 6. It's very similar to the Sermon on the Mountain, and the different people have their thoughts about that. But anyway, at the end of it, like just at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, also the end of this sermon in Luke chapter 6, Jesus gives the example of the wise builder versus the foolish builder. And so the wise builder who does according to what Jesus says, his house stands in the storm. Mm -hmm. But the foolish builder who doesn't do what Jesus says, his house falls. Right. So when we think about, you know, oh, well, it's more comfortable with the uh, old wineskin or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's not comfortable for long. Right. Exactly. It isn't. It isn't comfortable for long. You know, the enemy, it says in Scripture, roams about seeking who he may devour. And if we are not being tested and tried by him and tempted and, and uh, challenged, we would have to take a good examining look at ourselves. Where are we walking? What camp have we decided to pitch our tent in? And really seriously look at that. If we are real comfortable where we're at and the enemy's not bothering us at all, I would have to question, am I really have both feet in Jesus' camp? Am I doing the work he's called me to do? I expect to be tried and tested and tempted if I am doing the work of God that he has called me to do or doing my best to do so and to follow him. So that can be another comparison in our own lives. You know, an inner reflection we can look at. 
is what are what what is happening in our own lives. Well, you talk about the enemy, and we have this. There's one of my favorite lines in Luke. I mean, it's kind of a scary line, but Jesus is tempted by the devil. And so we have that in uh, Luke chapter four. Jesus is tempted by the devil. And when the temptation's all done, of course, Jesus withstands the temptation and using scripture in the process. But at the end, it says, then the devil left him until an opportune time. Correct. And I just think he probably works the same way with all of us. He's waiting for that opportune time. When your defenses are down, your inhibitions are lowered, and uh, watch out, that's your opportune time. Correct. And I thought that was very interesting, because when I had read Luke before and had learned about when he uh, Jesus had been brought into wilderness and tempted by the devil and understood that he had fought back, obviously, with his complete faith, but... With the Word of God mm. is what his, the ball the sword that the Spirit wields, is, which is the Word of God, that it tells us as part of our armor is. And I thought that was very interesting that it did say, at a more opportune time. That is something I had not noticed before in previous readings. And you're exactly right. That tells us there is going to be another time where it's going to be opportune, and that it also tells us that the enemy is an opportunist. Mm. And in that respect... Let's not worry about it or be scared or intimidated, but let's try not to give him that opportune time. We're all human. We're all still stuck in these flesh suits, and, and we have a carnal nature. I mean, that's, we're going to be this way until we are brought to heaven, but we can continue to be in his word and not as a legalistic, I must study so-and-so chapters in this period of time, unless that's what God tells you to do and that's the way you study. Mm -hmm. But we need to make sure that we are in his word, that we understand what his promises are. And we only know that, but being in his word and in prayer with him and don't give that devil so many opportunities because he is an opportunist. He doesn't have too many new tricks up his sleeve. But his old ones are good ones. Yes, they are. <laughs> and boy, do we fall prey to those often, don't we? Yeah. Well, if we would pay more attention, I heard one person say, when temptation comes to you, when your inhibitions are down, that's not a coincidence. That's a strategy. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Well, I'll remind our listeners, we're talking with Debbie Plekin, and she's the author of this book, an intimate, in-depth study of the book of Luke entitled With Jesus. And I'll tell you, you can find more information at her website, which is debbieplekin.com. Debbie Plekin might be hard to spell out for you, but it's D-E-B-I, Debbie, no extra letters in your name, Debbie, D-E-B-I, Plekin, P-L-E-K-A-N. So DebbiePlekin.com, you can find more information about this book called With Jesus. So, Debbie, let me ask you this. In the theater of your mind, as you're going through the book of Luke, what is one of the most powerful scenes in the book of Luke that you could just really picture in a powerful way, almost like you were there? Mm. Oh, well, that would have to be uh, as he's walking towards his crucifixion. Mm. And when I knew that part was coming, that I was going to be studying, I was trying not to have, uh, I'm going to say the word trepidation, 
because I knew how deeply that was going to affect me. And the depth that the Lord took me through this study internally, you know, I must preface this by saying there were times where I spent hours at my table studying with him half of one scripture. And that may sound unbelievable, but he had so much to teach in it, and he had so many other uh, backup different scriptures to what he was teaching me that I would just lose track of time. I have to give a lot of credit to my husband. I mean, we have horses and, and a lot of other animals and responsibilities besides the ministry, of course, and he would just take off and do all the chores, do everything. He wouldn't want me to interrupt me. Not that he couldn't, but he didn't want to interrupt that time because he could see that it was an intense, intense period that I was in. And uh, I will say there's, I started with my old kitchen table and it's very tear-stained on that wood, but especially at that time when it was um, studying, is walking towards his crucifixion. And... Um, there's one sentence that he did say, which I thought was extremely, extremely profound, and that was when um, there were the women that were crying and uh, calling out to him as he was walking. And then in Luke it says uh, where they had uh, he did not carry his cross all the way. Simon of Cyrene was seized and had to carry his cross. But in Luke 23, it does, he does say, I'll just go and I'll read, I'll read you that. Um, it says, but Jesus turning toward them said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming during which they will say, blessed, happy, fortunate, and to be envied are the barren and the wombs that have not born and the breasts that have never nursed babies. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover, conceal, hide us. For if they do these things when the timber is green, what will happen when it is dry? And that's verse 31, that last sentence. And that just nailed me. I'm thinking, Lord. And what he's saying is, if all of this can happen when I'm standing right before them in their very midst and they're doing this to the Son of God, what will people be capable of when I'm not walking the earth? Mm-hmm. And that was extremely profound and hit me very hard. And it brought me in my mind immediately to Timothy. Uh, I believe it's 2 Timothy 3. Let me flip to that. Is it 2 Timothy or 1 Timothy? I can never remember which one it is. Yeah, it's 2 Timothy 3 where he's talking about how people will be in verses 1 through 5, how people people will be in the end times and how horrible it will be and the hatred and the brutality. That was brought to my mind and that was very, very profound. Um, there is one other one where... Um, he says, will the Son of Man, when he returns, find faith on earth when he comes? That made me weep, mm. because it's, he asked that, rightly so. Will he find, and the Amplified Classic says, persistent faith. Will he find persistent faith on earth? That's, that's very, very convicting. Let me just throw a little side note in here, and that's about fasting, And I am always fasting something. This idea of a persistent faith is what I'm talking about. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, for example, for over a year now, I've been fasting all beverages except water. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's something that God led me to do. And it feels like he gave me a gift when he led me to do it. I mean, it's been a blessing. I know from the outside, for some people, it can look like bondage or legalism. But I can only say from the inside, it feels like freedom. And it's what he's led me to do. But here's one of the gifts of it, this idea of persistent faith, because if you stuck a faith thermometer in me, I am sure that you would see it going up and down and up and down and (laughs) up and down the faith level. Um, But I can point to this fast and say, God, I am fasting all beverages except water. That is consistent. And that is a symbol of my faith and desire to walk with you and to serve you unwavering Mm -hmm. even though moods and emotions and feelings and fears and anxieties and they they come and they go and they go up and they go down and feeling close to god feeling not as close to god he's present where is he you know Mm -hmm. but it's just a little thing where i can point to it and say this thing right here i'm persistent in that and that is symbolic of a persistent thirst for more of you and to follow you. So that's just a little side note there. Going back to Jesus on his way to Golgotha, and that the way that is told in Luke, it's so interesting because, like you said, there's Jesus. Of course, he's a beaten to a bloody pulp already right. to the point where he can't carry the, the cross. He's got Simon back there behind him carrying it. Jesus is being, you know, marched towards, trudging along toward his crucifixion place. And the women are weeping and wailing. So, I mean, these are the women, you know, they knew him and they had a heart, a tender heart towards him. And they're crying out and they can't believe it's happening. And it's it's horrible in every way. And and he turns and talks to them in the midst of his own sorrow and agony and says, you know, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. He gives this terrible prophecy of what's to come. And then. I just hear it almost in a theatrical movie type way where he, he says something along the lines of if they do this in the green wood, what will they do in the dry? Right. And then in my mind, like a shoulder gives him a shove and tells him to shut up and keep moving or something. <laughs> and but then, you know, whoever the women were, it got recorded. It's there in Luke. Luke heard it from eyewitnesses. Perhaps one of those women themselves told Luke the story. And here's what he said, Luke. Luke writes it all down. What will be done in the dry? And that would just hang with you like that. Right, right, exactly. And that's one reason why it hit me so hard. Because, you know, and and it's basically a prophecy that he's saying. He says, you know, it's, it's a forewarning. And that forewarning is for us and those that have come after, you know, when the crucifixion. You know, that's another thing, too, is um, it says in, in Luke that when he was crucified and then when he died, that the people, they had come expecting a spectacle. You know, what's a spectacle? You know, it's something that they're thinking is going to be dramatic, you know. You can even think of a spectacle if you go to some major fireworks show or light show or whatever it is, or some performance, you know. It, that can be one thing of a spectacle. It's like, I'm going to be wowed. And they came expecting a spectacle. And what they saw, they said they would left beating their breasts. 
And at that time, you know, beating their breasts meant it was like, oh my gosh, woe is me, what have I done? And they walked away with that. And it was the same crowds, probably more people, we don't know who, if, if everybody was the same, but it was the same crowds that had said Hosanna in the highest. Mm-hmm. When he came in on the donkey, the same ones that later crowded, uh, shouted, crucify him, that then watched and expected a spectacle and then left beating their breasts. That tells the whole story in itself. Going back to, like I said, the theater of your mind and think of another scene, a scene, maybe a happier one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Was there ever a time, you know, in the earlier ministries or at the end of Luke or somewhere in there where you pictured the scene, it came alive in in the theater of your mind and it brought you a great joy? Does anything there come to mind? Oh, there's so much joy. You know, that is one of my hopes, that people who read this understand the intense, incredible love that God has for them, especially, I think, of people that have never, ever known a loving hand in their life or maybe heard a loving word in their life. There is so much in Luke, and to to just pick one scene is difficult, but there's so much in Luke of the story of God's love for us, his incredible, incredible love for us. And that is permeated throughout the entire book of Luke, even through these sections that we discussed that are more horrible, what had happened to Jesus. But it still is such an expression of how much he loves us. And when we look at, um, say, I believe it's Psalm 139, we're, we're created, and we're, the Amplified Classic talks about it as being we're knit together like an intricate tapestry in our mother's womb, and, and he knew us before we were even born. And then yet, he still knows, because he knows all, he knows what we will do. He knows whether we're going to choose him or we're, whether we're not. But he still loves us beyond measure. And my prayer and hope is that people will receive that love, because he's just waiting you know, he gave us an incredible gift of free choice. And we can use that and wield that however we want. I just pray that people will use it to grab a hold of his outstretched hand because the whole book of Luke, to me, is a major love story of God towards his creation, his, his crowning jewel of his creation, mankind. Well, Debbie, let me ask you some about your studying methods because I'm sure you didn't just take the gospel of luke and only look there before you wrote your whole book entitled with jesus so how did you go about coming to a better understanding like you look up wineskins or you look up other things just to help inform people in their own bible study what resources or what tactics did you use to fully understand what you were reading my main tactic was prayer and submission and I know that might sound different to a approach of most studies. There's when I do other studies, I will use a lot of different varieties. I use a multiple different uh, versions of the Bible. Um, but my main is my main is prayer and submission. I go right to the source. I go right to God, and I ask His Holy Spirit. Just take over. Show me what you want to show me. Your living word has so much in it, and there's mysteries and nuggets throughout the word. And I can go to other books. I can go to other sources, and I can. I will go to a pastor that I trust, but I I definitely go straight to the source. And then I yield 
and that's not easy. I will say it's not easy. It's not easy for me to yield. It's not easy for any of us to yield. We can be willful. In fact, at times when I would be writing, I'd say, oh, wow, this is great. Okay, I remember this from a certain thing, and whap, to a spiritual smack in the head. And it was like, you know, I didn't tell you that right now. Hmm. That's not what I said. And I'd have to get back on task and not run away with my own thought. And that is one of the biggest things. Don't run away with your own thought. And I don't mean don't use your intellect and mind, because that's a gift from God, too. But don't run away with it. Stay connected in prayer to him, seeking. When he says, you know, seek his face, seek with all your heart, seek me and you will find me. Seek while you can still find me. That is, to me, the main source of what I use in any study, whether it be writing this or Luke or anything else I study, I go directly to him. I also will discuss it with rock-solid fellow believers, those that are in a intercessory prayer group that we have. We have mulled over parts of the study in Outlaw Ridge Ministries' open discussion Bible study group that we have every Tuesday evening on Zoom. We've had that since 2018. It's uh, people from all over uh, the nation, and it can be outside of it. We just don't happen to not have any international people right now, but anybody can click into that, and we bring up subjects of whatever's on somebody's mind. And then we discuss it. And that group had gone over a number of the different things I was learning in in um, the Luke study, and we, we discussed it and got different viewpoints and things like that. So discussion like that in a group study is excellent. Here's a question for you. Are there stories in the book of Luke that aren't anywhere else in the Bible? Ooh, you're going to ask me a tough one. <laughs> You know, I don't know the Bible inside and out to really answer that, but we do know that there are different, um, uh, when like maybe John or Matthew and Mark might have said a similar thing. We do know that it might have come from a different angle. They might have included different things that Luke didn't, um, or Luke may have things in there that they did not. And one of them is about the scourging, and that um, you will find in I believe it's not in Luke. It's, I want to say it's Mark. I have to go back into my own notes to see that. But uh, that part of what Pilate had done is not in each one of the books. It'll maybe say that he uh, took him aside and taught him better, and <laughs> another one will say he was whipped. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's differences in there, but that doesn't mean one is incorrect or that those... Um, Gospels contradict each other. It's kind of like when we're in a group setting and you have 10 people and they all witness one event, each person might say it a little bit differently than another. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So one story that's one of my favorites is only in Luke. In fact, right now I'm doing some memorization in the book of Mark. I'm near the end in Mark 16. Mm-hmm. And after Jesus is raised from the dead, then in Mark, it just says uh, he appeared to a couple other guys while they were out walking. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that was it. And yeah. it says, but that, no more details on the story. But Luke fleshes it all out in Luke 24. And that is the men on the road to Emmaus. Can you right. give us any insights into that story? Well, as far as that, um and you want insights as far as what I received from that? Yeah. 
Okay. Well, I'm going to have to partially go to my book. I want to get my uh, my exact insight of what uh, he had showed me about that. Because, and that's another one of those instances where uh, different people are going to say different things as far as how they witness something. Mm-hmm. And Luke would have, you got to remember, Luke was not one of the, the uh, 12 apostles, but he was a convert, and he was close with Paul. So he would have received some of his information from others. And you also have to look at how he first decided to write this. He said in the beginning of Luke that he wanted to give an orderly account. So you know he did a lot of research. And he probably, and I don't think I'm taking a liberty by saying this, he probably interviewed a lot of people to get this, because otherwise, being that he didn't receive it by his own eyewitness, how else would he have received it if he was not doing his research when he wanted to do an orderly account? But as far as this, with um, to me, that was Jesus, how do I want to say this, preparing preparing for when he would be no longer there, preparing for uh, what they needed to know in order to proceed and go forth from this point on, and prepare for what we read about in the book of Acts, which is also attributed to Luke as being the author of the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit was going to give them power from above. And if they understood and he walked with them and opened some of those scriptures to them, he was giving part of that orderly account that Luke was looking for. So to me, that would be why Luke is going to include that in his. That's Mm. part of that orderly account. This happened. He was preparing those people along the way. He hid himself from their understanding that it was him at first, but he was educating them and preparing them. And then they went and they told the others. Yeah, one of the things that I love about that in Luke 24, and it says it twice. And as you were saying, I asked you, you know, what was your main strategy for studying the book of Luke? And you said, first Mm -hmm. of all, prayer, which Mm -hmm. prayer is connecting to God so Mm -hmm. that God himself is bringing you insights into what the scripture is saying. But that's what it says in Luke, like in Luke 24, 32, after Jesus disappears and they say, mm-hmm. did not our hearts burn within us right. while he opened the scriptures to us? Yep. Yep. In other words, they, they felt that excitement. They felt that, that fire coming into them mm-hmm. as God himself was revealing to them what the scripture said. Not necessarily that they didn't know what the scripture said. They just didn't have a comprehension or a deep understanding of what it meant until he opened it to them. And then in Luke 24, later on, Jesus goes back and appears to the disciples back in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And it says something similar along the lines that he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. You're not going to get it unless he opens you up to it. Exactly. Which is my whole reason for why I say we must yield. When we're going to go into study, yield. You know, don't don't go in with a preconceived notion that I already understand this, Lord. Mm-hmm. No, we don't. There's that's back again to the living word. That's why He has to open it to our eyes of our understanding, and uh, that is a gift in itself. And if we yield, 
and we're willing, oh my goodness, the possibilities are endless on what we can learn. And that is another reason why I say my main goal and my main, I hate to be so cold as sounding tool in study, is prayer and going right to the source. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I hear this sometimes in the Christian world, and this might sound a little controversial, but I'll put it out there anyway. And that is that a lot of times people will say that the scriptures come first. All right. Well, I understand where they're coming from, except the scriptures can't come before God. Right. Uh, right. There's there's God and then and then there's scriptures but the scriptures are just reporting back from God, in a sense. Correct. And uh, we learn in Timothy that it says every scripture is God-breathed. It's, it's all there for our instruction and our reproof. So God is the source. God is, is first, obviously. And then the Word of God backs up everything God has already said, is saying to us, is teaching us how he wants us to learn. I mean, that, that saying, Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth, could not be more true. But God is first, and his word is, his word is his word, the word of God, and it is spiritually discerned. That's why it is foolishness. The Bible tells us that it is foolishness to them who are perishing because it is spiritually discerned. So if we ask for that discernment and we ask for that understanding in prayer before we delve in and enter our studies, no matter what study we're doing, if we're doing a big study, if we're just doing a, a scripture a day that we want to read, whatever it is, pray first for revelation and understanding. And, you know, if we're coming to him with that pure heart and that honest request, I believe it's going to be granted. And you're going to see things in there like, wow, I've read that a hundred times and I never understood that before. So one last question I'll throw out to you before we wrap up our time here with Debbie Plekin. And that is, Debbie, in our current culture, there's this phrase we hear a lot, deconstruction. You have Christians that are, especially younger Christians, seems like they they deconstruct their faith. They were raised in the church. They were raised uh, reading the Bible, or even memorizing the Bible. But what happens a lot of times is things start to undermine their faith, or they somebody starts to tell them, you know, oh, the Bible that's just a bunch of fairy tales. Uh, that was written just by men. God had nothing to do with it. The Bible isn't really true you can't put your faith in it and as soon as the bible is undermined in their own mind then they start to question everything and everything starts to fall apart because they've already chucked the bible so they're not going to go to the bible for answers so now they turn to the people who are the naysayers of the bible for answers and of course they just get more naysaying (laughs) And then they end up deconstructing. But what I also see happening is I don't see their lives improving by my definition. What I see is what Jesus said, where if you don't do what I say, your house starts to crumble. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I see when someone is deconstructing. I see their house begin to crumble, even though they might say, no, now I'm finally free from that religious yoke. But look what is happening in your life. Do you not connect the dots? So what would you say to somebody who's deconstructing and to this specific thing of them saying, 
Oh, I don't believe the Bible. It's just a bunch of man-made fairy tales. I guess what I would say to them is take a breath. Take a moment. Step back. Do not consider religiosity in the way of a religion. Consider Christ and who he says he is. And if you really want to make an informed decision, look into it from that respect. Don't look into it from what does uh, a specific church say or a denomination say. Go to the source. And what does he say? I, I put in my, in my uh, book that my favorite translation to study from is the Amplified Classic version. And my reason for that is it's, a lot of it is very close to the original Greek and Hebrew. So I want to know more fully what that scripture says. And there's a lot of uh, scripture that there's nuances in there that the reader of the original languages would have already known, but are missing in some of the more English translations that condense it down to a little bit. So I am not saying there's anything wrong with them. I study from a wide variety. But that is my favorite for that reason. I would ask someone who is in that deconstructing just to take that breath just to go right to the Bible themselves, go right to God themselves, even if they have no idea how to pray. There's, an, there's no science to pray. It's conversation. If you, you don't have to be in a specific place. You don't have to say specific words. It's a conversation like you would have with anybody else. Have that conversation and just say, God, I don't know if you exist or not. Jesus, I don't know who you are or who you say you are, but... I want to know what my options are. Mm. I'm being told this from this person over here. I'm being told this from person B over here. And I'm seeing this in front of me from the world C in front of me over here. I'd like to know what my options are. And then ask. Ask him to show you. And get a Bible. Maybe start in the book of John. And enter a quiet time where nobody else is going to bug you. Don't go online with it in a chat room or anything like that. Get an actual Bible and start looking at some of these things. And look up some words that are important to you. Like, what does God say about this? What does God say about that? And then look. But do it from a questioning aspect. And it's you're not going to hurt God's feelings if you argue with him or yell at him. He can handle it. He already knows that you're going to do that anyway. But I also would suggest that they read Psalm 139 and then start thinking a little bit more about it there. You know, as far as those people that are saying those things to him, 2 Timothy 3, I go to again. It says in here, two two, um, scriptures I'll read, 4 and 5. It says, they will be treacherous betrayers, rash and inflated with self-conceit. They will be lovers of sensual pleasures and vain amusements more than and rather than lovers of God. For although they hold a form of piety, true religion, they deny and reject and are strangers to the power of it. Their conduct belies the genuineness of their profession. Avoid all such people. Turn away from them. And the beginning of Psalms tells us who the blessed person is. Those who don't walk in the counsel of ungodly. And like when you had said how their world seems to be falling apart about them, it's not getting any better. 
That's because I can't look at the whole world as a whole right now. That's prophesied. It's biblical, what we're seeing and what we're facing. But there is a God who is waiting for you to take his outstretched hand, even if you are flat on your face and all you can do is touch the hem of his garment, do it. He said he will never, ever leave you or forsake you. He will never quench a burning flax. He won't snuff you out. He's just waiting. And we have that gift of free choice. I pray that they use it wisely. I like your little comment uh, to say this prayer, God, I want to know what my options are. Yes. Well, Debbie, thank you for your time today. How can people get a hold of your book? Um, It's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, They can also get it directly from me, and I'm very willing to... um, uh, talk with anybody you know who would like to know more or have some discussion about it. They can get it through the publisher Westbow Press. Um, it's it's available in a number of places, regular places you can get any books. There's also um, some e-books um, besides the paperback and hardcover, so that's available. And um, but I just encourage anybody who who would like to know more about it, I'm always open to talking. You can go also to outlawridge.org, which is our ministry page, and um, there's an invite on there to the Bible study group that we have that's open discussion. You know, pop in there. I'm very open. So outlawridge.org is that website. That might be the easiest one to spell. Or there's Debbie's website, debbieplekin.com, D-E-B-I, P-L-E-K-A-N, Debbie Plekin. And her book is entitled With Jesus. And the subtitle, An Intimate, In-Depth Study of the Book of Luke. And Debbie, thank you for your time today. I thank you so very much for having me on and letting me talk. You have a blessed day. All right. Thank you. That is Debbie Plekin. And for Wave 94, I'm Doug Apple.